Okay, so uh, let's get this going. I'm calling this the assistant situation roundtable. Um, let's acknowledge that the problem exists. I don't think we need to go back 20 years to delve into where the students went, um, blah, 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 at, as to why there aren't more candidates in the pipeline. Let's just assume that they're not. I think what it boils down to is a work slash life slash compensation imbalance. And this doesn't apply to strictly assistants. I think it certainly applies in many areas to superintendents as well. Well, thanks so much, Peter, for the invitation. First of all, um, it's wonderful to be here with this group to chat about to chat about a topic that's really, I think it's one of those elephants in the room that we've all been kind of sitting beside and it kind of keeps bumping us, I think, each year. And in Atlanta, Canada, we've seen we've seen it go with the golf boom and bust. It, for us personally, um, here at Fox Meadow, and, and I think most of the other courses, we we gave up on assistance a long time ago. We we just they just don't exist in Atlanta, Canada. There's there's just not people. Really? principally because there hasn't been jobs for them to move into. Where I am blessed at Fox Meadow because I have an assistant who's also my equipment technician, who's fantastic. Did you say then he's your brother-in-law? Yeah, he's my brother-in-law as well. So <laughs> we've been super lucky to find really good young people to come and work with us and, and keep them for five, six, seven years. But to find one that really wants to take this on has been a struggle. If you've got a labor supply that you can get young people in for five or six years straight and they do a good job and they're trainable and that kind of, man, you're way ahead of the game. And that's the thing. We, we consider ourselves so exceptionally lucky because we, we've created an atmosphere and it's not by accident. We work hard. At it. We, we make sure that we're a, a fun place to work and that, and that, that kids want that is what we want to find more out or find more out about later on. Jennifer. I've been fortunate. I have my son that works with me um, that wants to go down this path. We don't technically have an assistant slot. So he's just kind of here as a laborer getting paid, you know, the 17 bucks an hour, excuse me, an hour. And, you know, does that motivate someone that doesn't have a passion like he does to continue to, to go down that path? And then going on to school, I think the hardest part for these guys is getting that foot in the in the door at, at the Penn States and, and at the Rutgers programs, not knowing where to possibly go get the, the scholarship funding that they could possibly have to go to school. So I think that's the hard part here. Um, I think we just need to do a better job of uh, informing people, too, that the, the career is here. And uh, a, a lot of people don't know what we do. So I just went through this process of, uh, and the tweet that seemed to spur a lot of conversation was the guy I had working for me, uh, had followed me to my current property uh, last spring, uh, just came to me and said, Phil, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't see myself working. Now, this is a mid 20 year old, still single, no children, pretty much free to do whatever he wanted. I just said, I don't see myself working six, seven days a week uh, for the next 20 years for 12 hours a day, most of the year. Um, so when I posted the job this year, I mean, I think, I think I counted before we did this 13 to 15 jobs available for assistance alone 
within two hours of my facility. And some of them have been posted for months and are the pay is, I think now, probably too late, but the pay is, is fair. Uh, we posted the job, it was posted probably five or six weeks. And I had a total of four applicants. Uh, we, we had posted up to 75 and we were willing to pay that or even more if we got the right candidate. Three of which um, were either never in the industry or had been away from the industry for a, a quite a, a long while. And I was able to fill it with what I think is going to be a super, uh, a super good guy. Um, uh, was fresh out of turf school. And we just, uh, with a 36-hole facility, with a renovation going on, we were hoping to find someone with a bit more experience, uh, but that inv individual just either isn't out there or isn't interested in our position. You know, to post a job for up to 75, to have four applicants, and then to see not just me, Fiddler's Elbow has been looking for quite a while. I don't know if they filled that yet or not. And they're guaranteeing a five-day work week. Uh, and posted it up to 80,000. Hey, Chad, you are an assistant who's thinking about bailing out and going to law school. Uh, potentially, yes. So, not, uh, not, to, little... not to back you into the corner right out right of the gate. <laughs> I graduated from NDSU and with two other people and one other person a year ahead of me. So, enrollment's really down up there. And that's with a horticulture degree, not even a turf specific degree. Uh, I work at Hazeltine. That, that's Chris North Riva. NDSU is North Dakota State, I assume. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Up in Fargo, North Dakota. I work at Hazeltine as a second assistant uh, with Chris Tridabai. Chris obviously is the head superintendent. We have a lead superintendent and then myself as a second assistant. What we've found to be uh, great for our facility, and we obviously attract a lot of people just given the name of the tournaments, is myself and the lead assistant, uh, we're interns, so that's kind of the pool that Chris tends to pull from is people that he's kind of trialed before with our uh, crew and our assistants. We emphasize responsibility. We give people kind of the ability to make decisions and have fun with it, and we also trust them. The reason I'm pursuing to get out, and I have a great job, I'm in a great position. There's many, many worse places to be, but there's a risk for all assistants of getting to that superintendent level but not having it be a lucrative one. Because in reality, there's not a ton of top tier paying courses. Working so much in such a laborious profession and not getting to that end result and having such a huge risk, as opposed to getting out and going to sales or doing something else entirely, which is why I'm interested in law school because it's a diverse degree. Well, you certainly work for a superintendent who gets it uh, mm -hmm. in terms of the work-life balance thing. Um. So Jordan Kitchen, Hamilton Golf and Country Club. Uh, interesting in that uh, I've spent uh, most of my career on the assistant side, transitioned to being a superintendent in 2019. Uh, Hamilton is a PGA Tour destination. I'm fortunate to have a really large operation and several assistants, um, kind of commensurate with the property and, and, and the operation. Um, is this an issue at our property? Absolutely. Um, we have struggled. Um, now we've come through a project, uh, but we have struggled the past few years in attracting and retaining uh, assistant in training uh, positions. 
uh, and often they come out of school. Um, and I would say that despite the project, we try our best to do the work-life balance. And I have great friends and colleagues who, um, you know, persevered as assistants at, at great clubs. Um, and over the past two or three years have decided that they want to take up um, the sales route um, because they want to find that balance. They want to start families. Effective is I also teach at the University of Guelph and the Associates um, Diploma in Turfgrass Management. Um, and uh, I'd say numbers, particularly this year, uh, are down. That could be because of COVID. I think recruitment is a little bit better for next year, but we're talking a max of say 35 students, right? You know, we have more jobs than we have students in the pipeline. From my perspective, it's a little different um, in that I was only a, an assistant for about a year before I was offered the superintendent job at my course. Um, the assistant that I had, it was with me for, uh, nine of my 12 years and then when i was let go he was offered my position and turned it down simply because the culture at our course was not not very good um, outside of my department so what i focused on and what i learned was that as chad said again trust is a big thing um, trust guidance empowerment are words that are new to a lot of uh, the old school uh, golf pe people that have been in golf, you know, for 30 plus years. I think the that attitude needs to change a lot at a lot of these courses. Um, you know, this hierarchical top down structure that exists um, isn't going to fly for too much longer. The, the younger generation coming up is a lot more. They're going to be looking for a lot more of a transactional type of employment where I'll do this for you, but you have to do something for me. You have to, you know, there's so many options now for, for the younger generation as far as what to do and, and how to do it. That if, if something's not, you know, if they sniff something that's not cool, right, they're gonna be gone in a second. So I think building that trust and learning how to, but encourage the younger generation to understand the benefits of, of working in this industry. To me, that's, that's one of the big barriers is is breaking the, the traditional top-down structure in, in a golf course. I'm curious about the hierarchy of the course that you were at. Uh, you said it was sort of a toxic, unhappy place. So well, was, was it a, a sole owner? Was it a country club, a board, a, you know, general manager type of thing? Or, or what was that hierarchy? I, I had one general manager that I was reporting to. And he was, a, he was, he started out as the golf pro and he just, he didn't get it. I think in the old school mentality in that, in that top down structure, it's you do it my way. That's what needs to break and, and shift. And it, it, I think it takes, it, it might take a lot of effort. It might take a lot of these boards, you know, getting some new blood on some of these boards and, and greens committees at some of these courses. Yeah, the GM wanted, he wanted yelling and screaming and firing and. So you didn't really have the autonomy that you needed to run your program as you saw fit. In the end, no. 
what I always say and I always tell everybody is I want to create a place where I want to come to work. They don't teach leadership in turf school. They don't teach empathy. <laughs> things, these things need to be taught and learned and, and understood to be successful in leadership and to, and to build those relationships and, and draw people in, um, you know, to, to this industry, especially the younger generation who are, they, they're looking for connections and they're looking for purpose. Curious about um, scheduling. Uh, Phil, what, what schedule or typical in-season schedule do you run your crews? So, uh, so I have 18 holes public, 18 holes private, and the public course, all they see is revenue. Right. So we start as early as 430. There's spray days where we're starting at three o'clock uh, to get ahead of a 530 tee time. And with the COVID boom, while it's been great for golf and revenue on that end, it's even made that situation worse. And we can debate whether that's right, wrong or indifferent. Uh, but the younger population, we're probably looking to hire. It just isn't appealing and we don't pay enough to uh, make it worth their while. One of the things I've changed to make it more appealing is offer more flexibility. Uh, you want to work a three-day work week? Great. Uh, you know, whatever I can do to just retain, hire, and then retain those people. I'm not in a position to extend that flexibility to the assistant level, especially in my area. Um, man, all of these jobs go to the same uh, people that work at the same couple properties. And I think that hurts us, right? So I think a lot of guys get in and see it as a dead end quickly. How about at Hazeltine, Chad? What's your, your work schedule there? So uh, historically we've done the uh, one weekend on, one weekend off. So would that be 12 days on, two off? And then kind of the Friday you have off is kind of a flex day. If there's something going on, obviously come in. If not, um, you can, if you got something going on, if you want to be, or I shouldn't say want to be at work, but if you want to do a personal project or something, it's okay to not be there that day. So it's kind of 11 and a half to two and a half, but this uh, season we're going to do every third weekend for assistance being that we have three of them for our seasonal staff, uh, everyone else, it's going to remain that 12 on two off time frame. And number of hours then typically? For assistance, um, I'd say we, I, we don't have a target. I don't know if anyone tracks it, but I'd say we're between 40 and 48. Uh, and then if you work the weekend, you might get over 50 occasionally, but probably more in that mid 40 range. And our seasonal employees are hovering right in the mid thirties. We are gifted obviously with kind of a larger budget than the average golf course to hire a lot of people. Uh, working less hours though. Jordan. My first year as superintendent, uh, I made the change for our assistants. We had three at the time. I guess we still have three uh, and they work every third weekend. That was a departure from the every other that they had worked and even I had worked um, in years previous. I'm really big believer that, um, you know, there's everybody's the heartbeat, but you know, I want my assistants to be sharp and rested. The better they are, the better everyone else is. Um, we, we switched back to every other um, because of COVID. 
for one year and I'll never do it again. So they work every third weekend on a rotating basis. They're averaging probably between 50 and 60 hours per cycle. But I really believe in, in that balance. Uh, I think it's important, you know, can we do better? A absolutely. But um, I think, it, it, again, it's progress. Paul? Yeah, I think we're pretty close to what Chad and, and Jordan were talking about, actually. Um, I don't work weekends, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm not in the loop, even though I'm the superintendent and general manager. I rarely, I will stop by on the weekends, but I don't work. I, I made that decision a long time ago, principally when I became the GM. I just, there, there wasn't enough of me to go around. So I knew working every weekend wasn't going to fly. So, so we, we, uh, we only have a team of between 12 and 15 at the best of times. So we just divide ourselves into three teams and tackle the weekends that way. And, and, um, so it's every third weekend. Yeah, every third weekend. And we've taken kind of the same approach as Phil mentioned. We, we just hire more people and they work less hours and we don't care. It's fine. It's, and to tell you the truth, it works out better most of the time. Like there's a few more bodies around, but we're an extremely busy golf course, um, especially in the last couple of years is nothing for us to go stretches at a time where there's 300 plus rounds a day and we only have 18 holes. So it's, it's nonstop. And the quicker we can get out of the way, the better it is. So we, we start 536 and if I can have younger kids or I can have people that only want to work till 10 or 11 in the, in the morning, that's fine by me. And, and that's generally how we keep things going. So, yeah. Greg, back in the day, what was your schedule like? Um, we ran, so between me and my assistant and my equipment manager, uh, we would rotate weekends in a sense that we never worked both days, but two of us would take a, you know, two of us would be on and one off every weekend. So if it was me and my assistant, he'd work Saturday, I'd work Sunday, and then the equipment manager manager would be off. And, you know, we're talking about scheduling. Um, some of you are familiar with Matt Gourlay in uh, sure. Kansas. He just spoke at the South Dakota show, and, and a friend of mine back home was telling me that he was talking about one of his presentations was managing Gen Z, Generation Z, you know, the new guys coming up. And he said that, he schedules now, he said he has at his 18 hole facility, I think 37 total employees, but the equivalent hours of only eight full-time people. Jennifer, how about your scheduling? Um, for me, my guys cannot make any overtime. I, a little bit of overtime. Is that a municipal facility? No, it's, it's a private Privately uh, club, owned. but it's, it's, um, it's managed by a management company. So my guys come in typically at six o'clock and work until about two thirty. Whatever doesn't get done seems to get put on my shoulders a lot, <laughs> and that's why I I turn to Paul uh, often about doing the meditation and stuff because sometimes that work life balance is not there. We are closed on on Mondays for play, so it kind of lets us get a jump on things here. So um, that's sort of a dying institution, the maintenance Monday, isn't it? Yes, and I'm very thankful for it. <laughs> In our early conversation, Jordan, you, you mentioned um, something about uh, talking about budgets and, and looking at golf course maintenance from a, from a business perspective. And, and what sort of 
I guess what I'm curious about is a lot of times superintendents can be their own worst enemy when it comes to, um, you know, elevate. I mean, obviously there are uh, elevated expectations or increased expectations from among the golfers. But the one thing that jumps out at me is that Aussie method of raking bunkers. That's got to take forever to do. And you mentioned to me, Jordan, that that does the average superintendent know how much it costs him to do this, that, and the other thing? Can you just expand upon that a little bit? Chad, of some interest, uh, after I graduated from turf uh, school, I did detour back and I did an MBA. Uh, And it wasn't with the goal of leaving golf. I did it as a personal goal, but uh, I kind of caught the business bug. And I've had some great mentors who've also pushed this concept with me about, you know, establishing standards and tying absolutely everything that is in the standard uh, to a cost. You know, we always want to do better, but we are bound by the realities of our budget um, and by our resources. And in taking this approach, it just makes me wonder whether we can, you know, rein ourselves in a little bit in trying to always over deliver with less. Maybe we could just go around and uh, wave our magic wand in terms of one, one or two things that each of you might be able to change, improve in order to make the job of working at a golf course, either as an assistant or a superintendent or whatever, you know, more than, you know, I work in a beautiful place and I see the sunrise every day. And Paul. I think it's it's worth circling back to what Greg mentioned earlier about empathy and, and even using the word compassion and flexibility. I think this wave has been coming a long time. I mentioned earlier about the elephant in the room that we all kind of pretended wasn't a thing. COVID really accelerated a lot of things. We can't keep banging the same nail and looking at it going, well, what's wrong with all these kids? You know what? There's nothing wrong at all. People like Chad, of course you want a life. And when people say, oh, well, kids don't want to work these days. Well, you know what? We work too hard. We did. I look back at my career now and I wish I worked half as much. There's nothing wrong with having a work ethic. There's nothing wrong with doing that but I work half as much now as I used to, and I do two jobs and I get way more done. And that mindset I think has to start being instilled at a very young stage in this career. And in this job, it's just golf at the end of the day. It's a game that we prepare a surface for people to play a game on. And really it's not life or death and it isn't going to change the world in great many levels. Again, I come back to that word compassion. If you're not basing your whole outlook on what you're doing by caring about people moving forward, you're in trouble. Jordan, your magic wand. My mind wants to go in several directions here. This is a business where we get to turn around and look at what we do every day. And we place a lot of pride and value in that. And, uh, you know, we need to learn uh, to detach ourselves from that sometimes. And we need to teach people, those people we care about, that we want to inspire when to say, that's enough. That's good enough for today. Time to go home. Because the job is never done. Chad, what about the uh, job would you um, 
If you could change one or two things, what would it be? Um, two things I wrote down. First thing, just continuing to disconnect. I like to think I'm pretty good at uh, disconnecting from work and choosing to have fun, you know, especially on the weekends I'm not working and weekdays. And the second thing I jotted down was, uh, especially for people in the assistance role, is to be kind of open and transparent. I was fortunate enough to more or less have this conversation with my boss this past week and having the conversations of where you want to be and where you want to get to. So by transparency, you mean that uh, a dialogue between you and the superintendent in terms of what your, your career and your life aspirations are? Yeah, in, in the near term as well. Um, there's not a ton of metrics that assistants or even superintendents can use to be like, I brought in this much sales, this is what I'm worth, yada, yada, yada. But you still can speak to what you contribute. Phil? If, my, if I'm waving my magic wand, we're starting at the owner operator management company level and getting them to understand that we need to be resourced better. And through those better resources, we pay a fairer wage, we work less, which makes the environment better. And we make these AIT and especially the assistant super jobs, a job that you can live a life on and, and make a career out of as opposed to probably pretty early on needing to make it to the superintendent level. Because we also see these guys that get into their thirties, mid thirties, and then they toil away as career assistants because they start getting passed up for the super's jobs. Do we not um, encourage or accommodate enough a career assistant? Or is the, to me, the general assumption is everybody's, you know, on that escalator that is going to the top, whether they really want to be or should be. Um, I don't think we do at a lot of facilities that aren't at the elite level. So I think we're headed in the right direction on a, a bunch of, um, of these issues. Uh, but clearly, we might be too late or it's going to take us a little bit to rebound. You have a magic wand, Greg, other than finding the job? <laughs> <laughs> I do. And to sort of sum up with all the brilliant assessments from everybody else, it's, it's a shift. It's a shift in the way we think from the top down, from ownership down on working less, understanding more, being more compassionate, all these words we've been using, but it's just, something has to shift and golf better figure it out or we're going to be we're going to be continuing to struggle it's it's exploring new avenues for employment bettering yourself first before you try to fix everybody else's problems it's but it just takes that one little shift to set this industry off to on a completely different tra trajectory and i don't know how to do it other than to keep doing things like this and and getting the people the people who are vocal and outspoken to to keep talking about it and, and to keep sharing their ideas and keep sharing what's working and and hopefully it gets to these to some of these clubs soon sooner rather than later and, and it's not you know i use the word sustainability a lot which is not just environmental it's also leadership it's also management sure and what is sustainable management well you know it's it's not driving people into the ground it's not 
there's there's no more glory in a 60 hour work week all that stuff all that stuff needs to go and and uh and it's the conversation that that's going to keep keep happening that's going to that's going to make that shift you mentioned um a change in mentality coming from the top how does that get how how does that happen i mean does it happen on a micro level on a on a facility level or is that something that the the alphabets you know you're a grassroots jennifer's a grassroots i mean is that something that gcsa needs to tackle i mean they they tackled the whole professionalism thing um and were able to and i'm going you know i'm going back 20 25 years now that they were able to in, increase the salaries quite a bit wondering if there's an opportunity there to you know help on these other points also in terms of making the making the job livable beyond money you know we all know or some of us you know you're familiar with the maslow's hierarchy of needs right the people at the bottom these small courses with where it's the superintendent and four or five guys just struggling to get the greens and fairways mode I don't think it's going to come from them. I think it's going to come from, you know, the Hazeltines and the, you know, the Beth Pages and the bigger courses to, to lead by example. It's hard to hard for the smaller course to quantify making the shift and putting the time and energy into making some of these changes that, that, uh, that are necessary. So to answer your question, yeah, I think it comes from GCSAA and mainly through their educational programs. Um, and also from the, from the bigger courses and the more enlightened leaders that we have in this industry. Okay. Let's, uh, slam the lid on this here. I thank you all for taking time out of your Sunday. Uh, hopefully we'll, um, I'll get this up and float it out to other people. If anybody would like to continue on and come back for another session, I'm going to do it again tomorrow and probably Tuesday. Um, we can get into more specifics. If you have any further thoughts about today, please shoot them to me, either DM with Twitter. I think most of you probably have my email address. But um, uh, thank you again. And um, let's uh, carry this discussion forward. It's an important one.